I'm Krista, the founder and CEO of Vitrina Group. And I'm Jay, the lead producer of content at Dutchie. And this is Pot of Flowers, the official podcast of Hall of Flowers, an industry-only, highly curated business-to-business show designed to facilitate commerce between licensed cannabis brands and retailers. This podcast, which is recorded on-site at Hall of Flower Shows, highlights brands, retailers, and industry leaders at the forefront of the emerging cannabis industry. You can find more information about the podcast and the show at halloflowers.com. On this episode, we connect with Allison Gordon. Allison is the co-founder of Other People's Pot here in Canada, and the conversation took place at the inaugural Hall of Flower Show in Toronto in September of 2022. And Allison's history goes way back in the Canadian cannabis sector. So it's always good to sort of get her of the moment perspective. What do you think, Krista? You know, Allison's path through the industry is, I think, really representative of how things have shifted and changed really quickly. Her focus now on being able to support brands in getting products into stores and creating those relationships through like a sales agency is really representative of like time and place, what is happening both like in Canada and maybe as well as in the U.S. Yeah, I always like talking to Allison. And at some point, I would love to line up all the conversations I've had with Allison over the past five years, because I think it would tell a very compelling story of where the industry is in that moment and weave together sort of over time. So enjoy this conversation with Allison Gordon. Allison Gordon, thanks for making time during day two of Hall of Flowers. Thank you for having me as always, Jay and Krista. A new a new addition to our podcast. Yes, usually it's just you and I. Yes. Let's I'm here for the party now. Yeah. Let's introduce Krista. This is really Krista's show. Uh, <laughs> no. no, it's a new podcast. It's Pod of Flowers. We're pod recording. Of flowers. See what we did there? We removed yeah. Hall and put Pod. Guys, the creativity of this show is <laughs> off the hook, but it is. It really is. We're joking about the Pod of Flowers, which is a great name. But Krista, Jay, everybody involved, and congratulations on an incredible show. Uh, wow, thank you. Thank you. And yes. you're, you're all of we're all of one day in and a couple of hours. Specifically, like what, what we're hearing, but I yeah. want to see if it jives with you. It's like the curated audience between brands and retailers, mm-hmm. and like nothing outside of that is what people liked about certainly about day one. Yeah, I think what's amazing with Hall of Flowers is the as you said, they break down. So day one, you can have buyers and it's not super crowded and crazy. So I know that my team at Other People's Pot, OPP, said yesterday some amazing conversations with buyers. I mean, that's what you want, right? (laughs) And then today we're going to see more of the bud tenders, I guess, Krista, and like, and more of the buyers will be back. I mean, the fact that you have the OCS here and other boards from across the country, I mean, this is just invaluable to us in this industry to have FaceTime with government and buyers is like beyond. I realize we just jumped into it because we know you. Yes. Um, but people listening might not. Jay, uh, we're really sorry. bad at organization. I, I, here. We were actually First yesterday. Of all, we were insulted sub- that you think anyone might not well, know me. Well, that's fair. Uh, well, if, <laughs> well the, if, if that's how I feel about myself. But Allison, give us a name, title, business, what you do, and okay. then we'll get into the rest. My of name it. is Allison Gordon. I am the co-founder of Other People's Pot or OPP. We are a sales agency here in Canada looking at the US and my background really is I joined the industry with the founding team of WeedMD back in early 2014. We bought one of four legally permitted dispensaries in Los Angeles so early on that back in 2015 pre-legalization. Ultimately went on to found a company called 48 North that in time sold to Hexo and then Amy Weinstein and I started Other People's Pot. 
Because, you know what? Why not? Right. Cannabis legend. Yeah. Oh, Krista. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I will tell a story another time when Krista gave me the, I saw you speak and I joined the industry and I said, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Other people are like, oh, I watch you and it helped me do this. Like, you should have taken uh, different lessons sorry, from Krista that. Krista should have come up to me instead of just listening to what I said <laughs> to everybody else. Well, Krista and I were at Lyft and someone said, we, uh, we, we watched your things that you were doing with retailers at Business of Cannabis and it made me want to open a dispensary oh, in Vancouver God. and we're opening next week. I was like, you were not listening. <laughs> no. They're <laughs> like, it's hard. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. There are a lot of steps. <laughs> Krista. Last night, someone came up to me and said, we're opening on September 30th, and our first inventory buy is going to be very focused and small, because I don't want to have... I was like, oh, that sounds like something that... I, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I know, right? It does. Jay, we're making a difference. <laughs> it was all you guys. Yeah, it's nothing it to do with you. us. Nothing but to do with lack of this person, I, this person I actually did uh, meet through our the series we used to do. But Allison, talk about... Because uh, you just gave up from... Weed MD to now, which yeah. is a, that's the horizon that most people are, um, that's, that's the full horizon. Well, not the full horizon, but a, but a long horizon mm. on the Canadian cannabis landscape. And what we've heard over the past day or so in our conversations is like, I want to see if this drives with you. There was pre, like pre-rec, then there was like, you know, rec, I don't even know if it's like 1.0, like was pretty minimal. Like well, just, before they allowed the extracted products, like what well, was yeah, just flour. That, but that also coincided with like barely any retailers in the right. country. Mm -hmm. And then, like as soon as Ontario started opening up, COVID started shutting it down. Ugh. And most of the retailers opened up at some point during COVID. For sure. And now we're like obviously in, we're not in a post-COVID world, but like the next thing. And I think, the theory, like the retailers and the brands are getting, are hitting their stride. Like, what, are, what uh, you don't think so? <laughs> What do you mean by hitting like, their stride? Like, I, I mean, like, they've had actually business under their belt. Like, they actually... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've okay. had business under yes. their belt. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think, obviously, we don't need to go into the challenges of having 12 stores and four blocks. And No, no, so that's different. That, yeah. 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 I mean, there... Well, you have people like Krista who have joined the industry over, you know, the last five years yes. or so who have amazing retail expertise, people like yourself with business. So I do think the resources have come in when we started in 2013, 14, even building out, you know, licensed companies, you were hiring, everybody was new. Like I always say, if I would wanted to start a car company, I don't know why I use that example. It's like <laughs> the most impossible thing one could never start. Elon but, Musk did it. Yes, but you could hire people on your assembly line that have 25 years experience in the auto industry. So, you know, I've said it too many times, but we were all learning, which means a lot of money spent that didn't need to be spent. Right. And unfortunately, I think the same is true of retail. But these were, you know, smaller, a lot of them, operations that people put their life savings in. It's just heartbreaking to yes. me, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's a general awareness of what it looks like to run a retail business today that we didn't have like three, four years ago. And the realities of what it's going to look like to be a cannabis store. It, it, it isn't going to be that much different than when we start to think about like having a coffee shop or having right. a fashion apparel store where we have to be like competitive and creating an audience and thinking about customer retention. And so I think the overall thought process, we're starting to get there, but things like price and compression have made it really hard from a profitability perspective, for totally. sure. Totally. And also, I think, obviously, again, the lack of ability to differentiate yourself through product selection is very challenging because everything else you just made mentioned you could say to yourself like i'm going to get the exclusive fashion line of x it's really really hard 
but I think there are ways possibly with flow through possibly with just as you said like really servicing the customer being really tight like probably on the independent level I would say it's a nice family business and I think that's where people thought no no I'm going to be part of this stock market insanity but like how great is your life if you go and you have a store and you get to meet with people and talk about weed all day and you make a good living and that's to me what the independent might be like I don't know if you guys agree with that yeah I think that like that's ultimately the direction and what we're going and they're starting to think about what what does scale mean right like having a retail store having retail stores zero to five feels a particular way five to ten feels another way like the ten plus is a totally different experience and what you need to be able to drive into the business operationally requires different needs and wants too and and I think at any one of those flex points it feels like something very different and I think we're right now on the cusp of retailers being like what does it look like or what do it need to have to have a one to five store or five or more and so um, you don't see a world of like little independence because that was my dream for cannabis just being a long time heavy consumer was just that independent mom and pop that you're saying it's going to be small chains and big chains and that's it I think that what we'll see in the short term is small chains and big chains but on the other side of that is always the most innovative in touch with the customer businesses so if we start to think about like D to C e-commerce businesses um, a lot of the ones that were like really big um, and grew really, really quickly were the ones who captured market share at the beginning. And now we're seeing these smaller businesses who are super dialed into one product category and service their customer really, really well start to win in those in those like tranches. And what it, they need to win looks very different than what a larger business needs sure. to. And so they they gain market and capture. So I think that you'll have independent businesses who will continue to do that in that way. But I think in the next year or two years, you'll see this like flex up and then also back down. Um, because this is a business that needs to be super, super local and in touch with what their customer needs and wants are. And I think that's one of the painful points that's come up in the last really four years is that what somebody or what a retail environment needs downtown Toronto looks so much different than Barrie looks even more different than Sudbury and like are you on a walking street are you who's your co-tenant um how big is your space what's your customer frequency around purchasing are they shopping you and another store how are you sharing that business or that market share so yeah that's like I'm like oh god this is very complex you're right and (laughs) and I think that the retailers like Krista again it's great to have people like you because a lot of people without retail experience open these stores because they know that they know and understand cannabis and that is such a key ingredient Mm -hmm. but then you have all this other stuff that you're talking about that I'm going Jesus I couldn't open a store like it's a lot to think about but you know what I think the retailers had a great time yesterday and it's great that we can put our brands in front of them and put like a face to the name Mm -hmm. that's what we do at OPP a lot it's like how do I sell cookies? How do we sell Purple Hills? Well, let's talk about who are the people behind it. Like yeah. a lot of people don't realize cookies is local in the sense that they work with local partners always. Yeah. You know, Purple Hills, Peter Miller, here's somebody who's been doing it since 2014. So on the other side of the coin, in terms of being a brand talking to these retailers who are, you know, trying to figure it out, it's like we try and sell them a story because they're trying to sell a story to their customers, right? Because this store down the street might have some of the same product. Can they sell it better? right price point, all the stuff Crystal was talking about. Yeah, it's actually interesting because we talked a lot yesterday uh, and today um, about there's like you as a, as a 
person representing many brands or any one, one brand, like you're like the retailer relationship is, is critical because you need them to order the product, right? Yes. But also what they need is the tools and the story to then sell the product to their to like consumers coming in. Like there's lots of different levels to this that I'm gonna well, bring I think, up. Yeah. Okay, this is what I'll say. I, I what I've noticed this is like a one woman focus group. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> but one with years but, of experience. But yeah, but what I think is brand is starting to matter to consumers. They will ask for a brand. I think the challenge is if they come in and say, do you have X? And the bartender says, no, but we have Y and it's just looks good. They're going to buy it. No one's going to leave and go right, to right, right, store. Right, 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 right. But find the it. fact that they're asking is great. And so, you know, the follow-up, the 360 approach, like that's the hard thing about being a sales agency in Canada. You're not actually selling. Like the joke I make is people say, what's OPP? I say, it's a sales and distribution company that does neither sales nor distribution, <laughs> right? Because obviously the government's the only one that does. Right. So, you know, you can go in with your reps and tell a great story and get them excited about cookies, Purple Hills, whatever it is. But you're walking out of the store like, so, right? Remember when you're ordering, so it's, you know, the emails, they've like everything that we're doing as a sales agency, but brands should be doing to make sure we're touching them on so many touch points so that on that order day, they're like, wait, that was a great conversation. So that's your first hurdle. And then as you said, is the bud tender gonna push that through? And some people are saying, oh, I think the bud tender's influence has gone down a little. And I'm like, but if nobody's leaving the store, if a bud tender says, no, not that one, that one, and literally almost 100% of the time people will take what they want, then you've got to, as a brand, get not only to the buyers, but the bartenders, which I think is great about the show, because today we'll have bartenders, right? right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's To your point, it's, there's two very particular different audiences there yeah. that need some of the same information, right. but also need more specific information to be able to address each of their needs and how they c contribute to the retail business. A hundred percent. And... Um, a retail buyer is going to assess a product on a very different level than a bartender is for different product features and benefits and how it fits into an assortment versus like how it might fit a customer needs in front of them. But at the end of the day, a bartender can't sell something that isn't in store. Exactly. And so what's the first step? Making sure that the products are available in store. What's the second step? Making sure that bartenders understand and are able to really easily communicate the information about the products to the customers that are coming in. Yeah, and we're making this sound a hell of a lot easier than it is in right. light of the fact that there's like reps lined up outside of busy stores. The, the owners are like, Jesus Christ, like I've got to just sell, right? Or the butt tenders might move around or the store is saying, don't come bug our butt tenders, which I understand too, like not even in person. But so this is why what we did as OPP was we created OPP as a brand and people are like, why would your sales agency have a brand? It's not like Southern Blazers like out branding themselves. But to me, if butt tenders and buyers are following us on social media, coming to our events, hanging out at our Hall of Flowers booth, then it's easier to sell to them. So we're taking both a push and a pull approach. And I would, I don't know, Krista, what you think about that. I know it's not an easy thing for everyone to do, mm -hmm. but obviously it's a lot easier if you can, as a brand, do what we're doing, which is say, hey, you can trust anything that's in the OPP portfolio that Amy Weinstein or Alison Borden or Rebecca or Amanda or all, Kiki or Miranda, our amazing team, will say that it is good weed. What I preface that is, what is good weed? Right, right. I'm not telling you every client we've ever had is the best weed in the market, but we're not gonna rep somebody that's not the right weed, right price, support you in that, you know, how you're gonna sell it. But, you know, we're all, it's all hard. It's not like if you do everything right, then you win, because yeah. then, you know, the, the actual distributor might not 
deliver your stuff to the store. <laughs> right. You mentioned something that, that we heard feedback yesterday, um, and that is, um, you know, all these brands plus all the other brands, like all the brands on the trade show floor plus all the other brands yep. have people knocking on, on retailer doors yep. literally every day. The thing about this show is that you had retailers who were out of their shop, oh. right? Which is super important. And you weren't knocking at the door. Like this was both a place and a time to have those conversations that were not bothering anybody. Everybody intentionally was here they to were do here that. For yeah. it. Exactly. Like Rebecca Bennett, who runs our key yeah. accounts, she said like yesterday, she said, you know what? There's nothing like face-to-face -face conversation. These are all people she's speaking to regularly, but having them here at the show, it's just next level. And they can we can brainstorm a bit. Anyways, I don't want to have to gush about the show. But I love We would like, we would like, we would you, like to. you to. Okay, Please sorry, continue. I'll keep gushing. But Jay, I will, are we recording? No. Yes, yes. <laughs> I will say, like, from day one, I heard about Hall of Flowers back when it was the first show. And then I was like, I'm getting to that next show. And I was blown away because... The thing about Hall of Flowers that has been very unique in California, and I think you guys have done a great job with it here, it really is a brand show. It's a product show. You know, MJ Biz from day one, understandably, we were starting a new industry, like I said before. So, of course, it was a lot of equipment. Like, how were we actually going to get this, you know, plant out of our grow rooms or out of the field and into packages? So, MJ Biz was so heavy on equipment, which was amazing for the time. I know Hall of Flowers does a little, um, or not little, I don't know how yeah. big, but a part of MJ Biz. But this, the brand show, I mean, look, I'm a marketer, so of course I'm like, the brand show's the only show, and it's the best show, and forget the equipment show. That's the worst show. Don't I'm tell joking, the lighting like guys that, they'll be pissed. But yeah, no, I'm joking. So, so, but I'm saying I love that this is a brand show, yeah. and it gives you the chance to really talk about your brand and your product, which is what we need. Yeah, yeah. Are you guys happy with it? I'm so happy so far. Yeah, I'm happy yeah. as well. It's almost uh, over, Krista. <laughs> I'm happy as well. Like, I, I think, look, if if brands are saying we had conversations we, like, we couldn't have otherwise yeah. with, the, with the sheer number at scale, that's super helpful. We heard from retailers, too, that they loved it because they got to talk to, like, they could do it during a day. Totally. Like, and, and they liked it as well. So we do yeah. this every day or, like, once a week. So what's the plan here? Because <laughs> we need to talk retailers right. all the time. Then. And, then, and well, then they're not engaged. That's the thing. That's you, you, When you were talking earlier about touch points, it's like, when are... And mapping out touch points. It's like, when are the ones that you create a lot of traction? Right. And then what ones do you use as follow-up? And then how do you, like, reinvigorate that relationship? Ultimately, we're talking about creating trust. Yep. And when you said, like, let's get the retailers here and outside of their store, it... And it levels the playing field so that nobody's on home turf here right so that you can have a really honest conversation about like what business really looks like what you both need to be able to be successful and both are eliminated from the other noise that happens in your day-to-day -day lives of course i mean like that's the that's the mark i think of a good trade show you have good networking you have all these things but this is an incredible touch point that we won't have all year round mm -hmm. so that's my point to others listening which is you know, that it, they do have to think of you as they go through an OCS list, you know, the buy sheet, or if you're in BC or wherever you are, and there's, you know, a couple thousand SKUs. So it's true. It's not just about banging down doors. And it's like, how can you constantly be top of mind for them? So obviously having stuff in store is great. Things that are beautiful, like they all need and love. But I think we would remiss if we didn't say like your strategy for a key account, which is what I would call a chain, mm -hmm. you know, four or five and up in number mm -hmm. and then just independence, right? Because it is, it's a whole different It's a different game. thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, totally different needs in the business if totally. you start to look at the structure of how they're operating too. Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, the pay to play, we can't, we would be remiss to say that most of the chains for 
I understand it's a revenue situation for them, but are really like, if you're not paying, you're not on our shelf. And, but I would say that we have clients that don't pay and are on some of those shelves. So also don't take that as a no, show them value. I mean, look, they have to keep and retain bud tenders. If you have 50 stores, I guarantee you, you are spending a shit ton of time, excuse my language, looking like on HR, finding good people. Can you work with someone like OPP or another brand or another agency mm -hmm. and do something amazing for your staff? Because if you have amazing staff, I think you'd agree, Krista. Oh, That's the key. Gold. So it's getting some harder of these too. things of bringing in like what an LP can do for you, they might not be able to pay your pay to play, right. but maybe they can do some amazing event or bring you your whole team out. Like we bring bud tenders out to Peter's farm for Purple Hills, right? So you could bring your whole team out to there or contact another LP and say, we want to do a facility visit. Like, oh my God, that's amazing to get every, you know, a good chunk of those butt tenders. So it's like, get as creative as you can, is my advice. There's no better place. There's no place that I'd like to spend more time than Peter's, um, oh, than it's Cremar. So awesome. <laughs> it's really. Do you want to come, Krista? I do. It's okay, so fun. So let's do that next week because we're almost at Cutthroat sure. Harvest. <laughs> Jay, yeah, come as well. We'll do a oh, podcast with, with Let's Peter. do it. Sorry. Sure. Sorry, want, I'll show you something funny. Kind of we were, Alice and I, I were once there uh, actually recording a podcast. Oh my God, um, Allison, thank you so much for making time. Uh, have a great day, number two. We'll stop by the booth. Um, thank you, guys, and, and thank you for this. And let's do, where are we now? Fall? Yeah. Let's, where do, are we going to do spring? We'll let you know. When this podcast <laughs> drops, that's when we will have an announcement. Of It'll weather. be like a voice over Allison's voice. Like, yeah. yes. See you in. Say. All right, everybody, right. have a great day. Thanks, Allison. Thanks, Allison. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pot of Flowers. Once again, I'm Krista Raymer of Vitrina Group. You can find me at vitrinagroup.com and on LinkedIn. And I am Jay Rosenthal from Dutchie, and you can find me at business.dutchie.com or on LinkedIn. For more information about this podcast and the Hall of Flowers series of events, visit holloflowers.com. <laughs>